Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Institute for Policy Innovation podcast. We're coming to you today from the studios of Salem Media Group in Dallas, Texas. I'm Tom Giovanetti, the president of the Institute for Policy Innovation. Today is November 3rd, 2022. How is it already November? And I'm joined today by IPI resident scholar, Dr. Merrill Matthews. And today we're going to talk about a piece of yours, Dr. Matthews, that has gotten a lot of attention and a lot of traction, where you ask the musical question, is a 25th Amendment removal in Joe Biden's future? Uh, and this is a really, really interesting piece. As I said, it's gotten a lot of social media circulation, and there have e- there have even been articles about the article. <laughs> um, so uh, talk us through your piece and your thoughts on whether a 25th Amendment, I guess it's actually the f- Section 4 of the 25th Amendment that may be coming into place. That's correct. So th- the point of the piece is the time may be coming, Tom, when the country is going to have to have what a, a serious conversation about what's likely to be an uncomfortable topic, and that is President Biden's mental health. Now, fortunately, it's not a new topic for the country to discuss because when Donald Trump entered the stage, and especially when he became president, the left decided to make this a topic, and we had four years of discussing Donald Trump's mental health. And it started from, you know, from right off the bat. There were calls immediately uh, say, suggesting that Donald Trump was not mentally stable, he wasn't mentally fit, e- even by January 2018. So he's only been in office now for a year. Uh, the question of Donald Trump's mental fitness had become so prevalent that he went to his doctor and asked him to give him a mental cognitive test. Mm. To see how he's doing. The doctor came out and said he did fine, but that was, of course, his doctor. Yeah, I mean, we don't know how rigorous it was. No, we he, don't. But he at least responded to the uh, to the charges. And you're right. We heard about this constantly, almost from the day he took office. Right. And, and so, and Democrats uh, went to uh, the Congressional Research Service. That's the nonpartisan group that, uh, part of Congress that does various survey studies, uh, historical background and things. They do a very, very good job. But they asked them to do something on the 25th Amendment. So in November 5 of 2018, the Congressional Research Service released its, the title was Presidential Disability Under the 25th Amendment, Constitutional Provisions and Perspectives for Congress. It's a very interesting piece because it goes through the history of this uh, and just the the whole issue of the 25th amendment, why it was implemented and so forth. And so, well, let's, let's talk a bit about that. Why, 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 why were these provisions put into place? What is the historical background? We, on we that? have, of course, in the constitution, a provision that if the president is unable to serve, then the vice president is the person who steps in for the presidency. But it does it just, it just basically says inability to serve and doesn't really define that. So we right. don't, nobody's, we don't really know what that means. There have been times when you had a president that was very sick or an assassination or attempt. Or when Reagan was shot. Reagan there was, was shot. There was confusion, and you confusion. had the famous, the famous uh, who was it? Was Alexander, it Alexander Haig, who said, yeah. I'm, I'm in charge. It's like, <laughs> no, no, you're not. <laughs> because typically, the, you know, you would, you would expect the president to be able to sort of assign the, pre- the vice president, I'm going to be stepping down. Well, and we, we've seen that before, mm-hmm. like when presidents were going in for surgical procedures, right. and they were going to be unconscious, you know, for several hours or something like that. So it was really unclear. Then during the 1950s, Dwight Eisenhower had several... Uh, had some health complications. He was older and had some complications. 
And it raised the question, and he, and as I understand it, he and Richard Nixon, his vice president, actually entered an agreement to just how the process would work if uh, something happened to uh, Eisenhower, if he was uh, out for some time because of, let's say, a heart attack that he survived. Mm. So this was, this issue came up. And, and, it, and it's, listen, I'm just, I'm interested in, his, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I'm interested in the history angle because the 25th Amendment is relatively recent right, as far yeah. as amendments go. Because we know that in, we know, for instance, that Woodrow Wilson's wife mm-hmm. essentially served as president yeah, she for the, a portion of his term because he was, he was too ill to serve, but yet they didn't want anybody to know or mm-hmm. they wanted to keep it quiet or whatever, you know. And so power was not handed to the vice president then. It was handed to Woodrow Wilson's wife. And, of course, you had FDR who had his own medical issues, mm-hmm. and they tried to hide that from the public for various reasons. So, yes, it's it's been an issue for a while, but then you had the assassination of John F. Kennedy. And, of course, Kennedy does not survive long. Uh, Lyndon Johnson comes in. He takes the oath of, oath of office. So it's a fairly smooth transition. Conceivably, Kennedy could have... Uh, been in a coma or something for days or weeks. And if that were the case, does the president get to serve? How do you do that transition? So Congress stepped up in, in 65, 1965 and decided to uh, create the 25th Amendment. It took a couple of years to get it uh, uh, affirmed, confirmed by the states. But then so it goes into effect in 1967. And so we've had the uh, 25th Amendment since then. So the, the 25th Amendment has four basic sections. The first one reaffirms that the vice president becomes the president upon the death or resignation of the president. The second uh, provision provides for replacing the vice president if that office becomes vacant, and that's happened in the past. Mm-hmm. The third section lays out how the president can voluntarily transfer power to the vice president, such as if the president is sick going to be uh, undergoing a medical procedure, operation, or something of that nature. So it's meant to be, in essence, a kind of a temporary, I'm passing this over to you. Right. And we see, and, we, and without the 25th Amendment, there's like no provision for temporary right, right. transition. And we've like seen that. this a number of times, that the president's going to have an operation, colonoscopy, other operation, or something like that, and the president's out. The president temporarily hands over the power to the vice president, only lasts a short while, and then the vice president uh, steps down, and the president is is acting again. So it's the fourth section that's really the one that has become, uh, that's never been implemented, and that's the one where if the president essentially involuntary, there's an involuntary replacement of the president. The president doesn't realize there are some issues, there's something going on. And so in that case, and I'm quoting here, the vice president and a majority of either the uh, principal officers of the executive departments, uh, primarily the cabinet, I think, mm-hmm. or of such other body as Congress may provide. Uh, and so the uh, so the it, amendment actually allows Congress to draft legislation to be more specific. Not, on that. Yes, that's right. Okay. And in fact, and in fact, as a Congressional Research Service points out, uh, that has happened a couple of times. the uh, The Democrats tried to move to create a body. So that if the cabinet officers under Trump didn't didn't want to go along with it, yeah, they could still get their way. They could still get their way. <laughs> and so we saw this, you know, we, we saw this, I mentioned, we saw it in 2017, 2018, 2019. There was another time when they wanted to take a look at this. And, you know, you had in, in December 2019, 350 psychiatrists and other mental health professionals 
signed a petition uh, during the uh, Democrats' first impeachment uh, fiasco saying they thought that the president was probably unfit to uh, fulfill his obligations. Now, these are not, and th- then the issue came up, wait a minute, you're a psychiatrist, you've n- none of right, you have ever is, examined yeah, there, the There president. was a huge medical ethics issue here because you've right. not examined the patient. You're making a, you're making a, a major assessment of somebody that you've never sat down with. Most of them would not never have even met the president personally, I suspect, mm-hmm. and, and done a real medical evaluation of the president. So, and then you go down to 2020 and then after, right after the, um, the election in 2020, there was again, this concern that the president might be undergoing stress, maybe not be mentally fit. Uh, in essence, lost his mind because right. he, 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 he's lost the election or, or be, or, also, you know, there's other ways you can be unfit. I mean, you might not be disabled, but you might just be unhinged. Un- unhinged, right? or you might just or, go into a right. uh, reclusion, and you mm-hmm. just don't want to deal with things. Right. And there was the discussion of could could they get could they persuade Mike Pence, the vice president, to initiate this? Now, in that section four, it's not entirely clear. It, it sort of reads like the vice president would initiate this. But it's not necessarily clear that the vice president has to initiate it. So you could have cabinet members and you had several cabinet members who we found out later were concerned about things mm-hmm. that the president was saying and wanted done and so forth. And let's just to state the obvious, you would not want a procedure where it fell upon the vice president to initiate it because the vice president has its, his own incentive, <laughs> that his or her incentive that they want to become president themselves. Right? That's exactly right. <laughs> Yeah, so you you had this you had this sort of dynamic going on in late 2020, early 2021, and I, my sense is that a number of people who might have been involved and were concerned about the president thought, okay, we're not going if he tells us to initiate war on Korea, or North Korea, or something, we're not going to do that. We're just going to hold off, and it's going to be over in the next couple of weeks anyway, as the new president comes in. So the um, uh, that's why the 25th Amendment was created. It was we heard about it frequently during the Trump administration, mm-hmm. but now you have um, uh, you have a new president in, and and I argue that Trump's problems are sub uh, that Biden's problems are substantially different than Trump's problems. Yeah, I think that seems obvious. I think uh, I think that even even big time Trump supporters would sort of with a wink and and a nod kind of acknowledge that there were cases where he flew off the handle. Mm-hmm said extreme or exaggerated things, displayed sort of shocking ignorance about the actual provisions of the Constitution and things like that. Indeed. But but they were errors of judgment or errors of temperament, but they were not demonstrations of mental inability. Yeah, and I think that's the key point there. In fact, when you when you look at the the sort of the allegations that, well, he seems to be undisciplined, he's uh, he's moody at times. He's uh, can be very abrasive and so forth. Uh, he can flip flop. Uh, those kinds of things. I, you know, I point out that I know a lot of people who say their bosses are like yeah. that. <laughs> Maybe Trump's a little bit to a higher order, but mm. that's you, you have people who are who are like that, but they're not unhinged. They're not. Um, uh, there's not a mental problem. They just they see things differently and they have a different yeah. personality and characteristic. The, the, the section four of the 25th Amendment is not for people because you disagree with their personality. Right. Yeah. And and so what happens is we've we've seen this with President Biden 
it's just it's just really obvious that something's going on. And there's times when he's giving a, a presentation, giving a speech or something. He seems lucid. He seems on target and so forth. And then other times he'll finish that speech and then he'll turn around and kind of just wander off. And not like, you know, you and I have given speeches before. Sometimes you finish a speech and you're turning to walk one way. And, oh, no, no, I need to go this way. But you you just realize you just were turning the wrong way to go off the stage yeah, or whatever. Right. Uh, he looks like he's lost and confused, and he's just kind of wandering off in a in a senior old man kind of uh, well, effort. And it's not just that; it's um, like reaching out to try to shake hands with people that aren't yes. there, seeming to be lost. Um, he said the other day in a speech that he had lost his son in Iraq, mm-hmm. which is not true, right? So it's not true, and it didn't sound like something he was exaggerating on purpose. It sounded like just for the for the for the moment. He forgot how his son died. And one of the key reasons why you know his cognitive failures are different than, say, a Trump's is that when he starts wandering off, somebody runs over and grabs him real quickly and right. takes him by the arm and starts pointing out where you, where you go. Now, those of us who've been around seniors, if you've been around many seniors, you recognize this behavior. I suspect a lot of our podcast listeners have either had have, have had direct experience either with someone who actually has dementia mm-hmm. or Alzheimer's or just in, in their older age. And you and I are going to get there sooner rather than later. Probably sooner. Uh, so I'm trying to show some sympathy here. Um, you just you just get to the point where the where the mind just ain't as sharp as it used to be. Right. And probably not as sharp as it needs to be mm-hmm. to do things like driving a car. Or, you know, going out on walks and being certain that you're going to come back afterward and things like that. And, you know, we saw this with my father-in-law as he got older. He ended up dying at the age of 90. He was, you know, quite old. Mm-hmm. But those last several years, it was just you could just tell that there was decline coming. And uh, it's it's part of life for many people. Now, mm-hmm. I try to point out just because um, Joe Biden will be 80 this month. Mm-hmm. Um, I try to point out that just because somebody's 80 or senior doesn't mean they necessarily right. have that. I mean, we, you and I know Alan Dershowitz. We've had him here to speak, mm-hmm. and he's very sharp and on target with his uh, – With his, I mean, just he's still knowledgeable. He's still able to function mentally well, we, as far we as we can know, tell. We all know people who are in their 90s are, and are just sharp as a tack. Absolutely. And, in fact, you know, there's a lot of complaints right now about how we're being, you know, we're being governed by a gerontocracy because <laughs> so many of our national political leaders are old. Well, part of the explanation for that is that people are living better well into later years than they used to. Mm-hmm. So it's it, in a way it's something to be celebrated, actually, that you can still be functional in your in your eighties and even in your nineties. And you know, we went through this with my with my mother in law. She had dementia, and the the thing is, and you, you get into a little bit of this in your piece. You're the last one to know. Yeah, I mean, part of the problem of of dementia, Alzheimer's, even severe forgetfulness, is that you're losing the ability to self-analyze mm-hmm. and be self-critical yourself, and it's the source of a lot of pain and anguish among friends and family members. When they sit down with somebody and they begin to tell them this, they oftentimes have this pushback that that's not the case. And you know, in many cases, somebody walks in a room, they forgot, they don't want to, they don't want, they want to kind of hide it in many cases because yeah. they don't want to give the impression that they're right. Declining. Exactly. So I, I think you know what what we've talked about here is not going to be news to our to our listeners. I think it's there's a lot of awareness of the fact that Biden's having issues. Okay. I think we should make the point for the record that that there's very few people who want to see 
Biden removed from office through the 25th Amendment for their own personal (laughs) political reasons, because I think Republicans, um, they don't want to see Kamala Harris as president. Mm -hmm. Um, I think a lot of Democrats don't want to see Kamala Harris as president. And that would be the result of exercising the fourth section of the 25th Amendment. So, So we can't really people who raise this topic, as you have, can't really be accused, I think, of partisan reasons for doing so. Uh, it may only be that, you know, Kamala Harris, her family and staff, <laughs> you know, <laughs> may be the only people in the country who would like to see something like that happen. And, you know, this is the real dilemma that Democrats have right now, because if they, you know, Democrats, you know, the large majority of Democrats, especially Democrats in leadership, Democrats who are doing polling and so forth, know this is a problem. But if you if you admit it, then you sort of open the door to what are we going to do about it? And and they don't want to do that. Exactly. And then they're faced with the problem that uh, Biden has hinted, uh, has implied he hasn't made the direct statement, because once you say I'm running for a reelection, then you come under FEC laws and other things that that you don't want to that he doesn't want to come under right now. But he's made several statements that his intention is to run again. So he's planning on being there the next two years, the rest of his this first presidency, and then he would like to run for four years, four more years. And the presidential election process is going to start on November 9th. Yep. I mean, right after this, because there'll be so many Republicans who are going to start jumping into the fray to try to, and they're already hinting at it and doing it in various ways. Yep. And there may be some who are wanting to challenge Biden on the Democratic side. And from the Democratic side, when Republicans start declaring and start engaging, there's going to be a problem. I'm, I'm not going to say a crisis, but there's going to be a problem. Who is who is running on our Who's side? Who's running on right? Who's it going to be? And if you're if you've got Republicans running, and you if you as the Democratic leadership think we can't we can't let Biden run. And of course, I we've talked about this. I wrote something a little while back, a few weeks back. For the hill on the notion that you can't really stop yeah, the parties are just not strong the, enough. The right. parties just aren't strong enough to do that. Exactly. So then you're in a real problem if Biden is is uh, set on running and the leadership and others, the media and others realize he's just not there anymore. Then what do you do? You've got two years. If you if you in essence try to get Biden removed, and you could go to Kamala Harris and the cabinet and maybe get him removed. Uh, under the 25th Amendment. But then you've got, as you point out, you've got Kamala and nobody really wants really wants Kamala uh, to be the president. And if you have Kamala as president, if she steps in for Biden, then she sort of feels like she's the heir apparent for the 2024 election. And I feel pretty sure most Democrats don't want that. We, we know from polling that she's she's a, a weak candidate, even among Democrats, yeah. and was not able to win a single a single uh, vote. During the Democratic primary, is not a single delegate. You also know, if, as a Democrat, if if Biden is continuing to decline, and and generally speaking, if somebody starts displaying these various uh, elements of decline, they don't get better; they just get worse. And you've got two years before the next election. Then, in that case, you would likely think Democrats: we've, if we run with Biden, we're going to lose because just about anybody who's still you know who's yep. breathing is likely to get. The uh, the win the presidency. So what do you do then? And so my sense is and what I argue is I think their best bet probably is to go to him sometime, I would say, in 2023 um, and say and and lean on him to not run again, 
Maybe you do hold it to early 2024, but that's awfully late. So I would say sometime in 2023. And if he says, you know, no, I'm running, then you sort of use the 25th Amendment as leverage yeah. to try to get him to say, OK, I'm I'm going to finish out my term, but I'm not running again. That way you don't give Kamala the edge as the incumbent. And you've got you've got you now have opened the door that other Democrat potential Democratic candidates Gavin Newsom, the governor of California being one, could jump in and begin their own primary process. Well, you know, I can think of a couple of, uh, I think, good ways to sort of wrap this up, a couple points that I think we would like to emphasize. The first is that people who raise this issue, like as you have done, uh, are not doing it for partisan reasons. No, this is not a gotcha. That's this exactly is not right. A, this is not a we're glad you're here. Right. Nobody wants. We're living in a in a serious time right now where you've got rogue governments out there who are either threatening or have invaded other countries. Yep. And you don't you you don't want a president who is not up to full competency to be able to make decisions. Yeah. I mean, for, for better or for worse. Uh, the the person who would take over is not really it, no, neither the Democrats nor the Republicans are enthusiastic about her. Right, and so it is a little bit of a unique situation where you 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 fear that you may have a president in the White House who is who is um, disabled in some way, but you've also got. You'd also lack confidence in the person who would be taking his right. place. So, again, I think that it's it's right out of just genuine concern for the security and the functioning of the country that if these questions need to be raised, it's right to raise them and people should not be accused of partisan reasons for doing that. I think the second point to make, and you also made this as well, is that there is a double standard going on here because this this flag was waived for almost four years yeah, while yes. Donald Trump was president. And there seems to be, other than conservative social media and conservative podcasts, there seems to be a, a blackout in mainstream media mm -hmm. to even be willing to discuss some of these very obvious, very obvious flubs that seem to be happening on an almost weekly basis. So there's a double standard here. And as you anticipate in your piece, we may very well in the future be faced with a situation where all people of goodwill for the country, you may have to come together and say something has to be done. And it's not just our country. The, I, I, I specifically used when I talked about Biden's wandering off after speeches and so forth. I, I have a link to the Daily Mail yeah. from London yeah. Yeah. that has a list of those. This is the London paper highlighting the list of them with uh, clips on YouTube of how they of, of him wandering off. That's our one of our best allies yeah. that's noticing one of the problems yeah. here. Freedom-loving people around the world uh, do not want the leader of the free world to be of questionable capacity. Mm -hmm. Well, we would invite you to check out our website at IPI.org if you found this podcast to be of interest. We would invite you to sign up if you'd like to receive notices of our new content, upcoming events, and new podcasts. If you've enjoyed this podcast, how about giving us a favorable review? on iTunes, or on your favorite podcast platform. You can also help to sponsor these podcasts by becoming a member of IPI's Giving Society. I'd also like to mention that Dr. Matthews has a regular column in The Hill, which is where this piece that we've been talking about shows up. So you can also follow Dr. Matthews' work either on IPI's website or on The Hill. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you next time.